0: And I loved that Pioneer game. <laughs> I was like, of course, that's how like a nerdy gamer is going to like
1: slide back in with his friend. But that it was good. Yeah. With the Pioneer game, when I first read that chapter, I kind of hated it. I skipped through it. I really hated it. I
2: didn't like it either. I was like, this is so dumb.
1: Welcome to Red Wine Reads, the community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not so favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and today is a very special recording because not only is Ella Kopakin joining me, but we have three other guests. We opened up our inaugural Red Wine Reads book club to our followers and friends, and we had Claire, Hannah, and Marley all sign up and join us for this amazing conversation. Now, before we start, I will give you the same old warning that we will spoil the endings of the Bookshare Review. So if you don't like that, then please go finish this book and come right back to this episode. But if you're just here for the fun-loving conversation, then welcome. We are so glad you're here, and maybe next time you can join us in person. Now, whether you want to read one, none, or all of these books that we read this month, this year, this week, the choice is up to you. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two or in this case, five opinionated amateur readers. So you may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. You can tell us your opinions and maybe sign up for the next Red Wine Reads Book Club on our Instagram and TikTok at Podcast. That's at rwreadspodcast on Instagram and TikTok. So without further ado... Let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Well, let's get started. Everyone, welcome to this very special episode of Red Wine Reads. It is our first ever Red Wine Reads book club. So we are so happy you are here. Yay. Woo! Woo. <laughs> so Ella and I decided that we wanted to have more people join in on this conversation about our next book. And so we invited three lovely guests that are super smart and are going to add a lot to this conversation. And I'm so excited that they're here. We have Hannah, who is my F45 workout partner. She is incredibly smart, has a bunch of pets that are running around in her background. So welcome, Hannah.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: (laughs) And then we have Marley, who is my good friend from college. She was always much smarter than me in the journalism department and is a fantastic writer and avid reader as well, and also a gamer as well. So I'm very excited that you are here, Marley. Welcome. Hey, so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. And then we have Claire. This book club was born from Claire's idea and her persistent asking me to start book club so i am so happy claire's here she's also one of my bridesmaids so she is a very dear friend claire we're so happy you're here
3: hello i don't have
0: earphones i might have really bad audio (laughs) it's gonna be great
3: (laughs) i thought that you were gonna introduce claire and go and this is claire and just stop there (laughs) she's just hello (laughs) hello And Ella. Yep. Welcome again. Thanks. I feel really special.
1: Yeah. You get a special intro, everyone. Oh, once every month. So there you go.
3: I I don't need it. I don't even care. What did we read today? I don't even care. It's
1: fine. So speaking of what we read today, we read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And so let's get into some quick facts before we get into our book. So this book was published in 2022. It got a 4.2 out of 5 on Goodreads. This book won the Book of the Month Book of the Year Award. It was also named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, Time, Goodreads, Oprah Daily, among others. So it is very highly acclaimed. It's pretty all over book talk, Bookstagram. It's kind of just everywhere. And so I was very excited to read it. And it's also the last book in our month where I got to choose the books. So this was one of my choices. So then a little bit about Gabrielle Zevin. She went to Harvard. She was also a really big gamer as a kid. And she's been in the book publishing business for about 17 years. So she is not new to this. And she wrote The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, which I have not read yet. So it's definitely on my list after reading this book. And we can't forget... What is everyone drinking tonight? I decided to go with a very basic Pinot Noir. How very Sadie Green of you.
3: Oh. <laughs> Hannah, what are you drinking?
2: I'm drinking Pink Guava Funk. It is a sour ale by Prairie Artisan Ales. Very good.
3: Wow. Fancy. Hey, okay, you win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you
0: win. Claire, what are you drinking? I got like a kombucha drink called
1: Tapache. <laughs> nice.
0: They make it out of like pineapple rind.
1: Okay. It's a little
4: hipster. <laughs> I was going to say that's uh that's very Sam of you over there. Marley, what are you drinking? Got my emotional support water bottle, which I did need after finishing this, but... Yes. Yes.
3: Agreed. I love that. As a member of the Nalgene water bottle support club, I really feel you on that. Everybody needs a security water bottle. Yep. Yep. Yes. And Ella, what what are we drinking tonight? Uh, what, what do I drink every episode, Jenna? A tequila soda, because it's the only alcoholic beverage I ever drink. Sorry, everyone. I know I'm boring at this point, but... We are what we are.
1: That's that's what we get every single time. It's okay. We still like you.
3: Wow. Between the intro today and that, I really already feel attacked and I don't think it's going to get better after
1: my opinions here. I'm just trying to get things in before you're hard out. I'm just trying to be conscious of your time. Start the summary, whatever. Whatever. Alright, here's our summary. On a bitter cold day in the December of his junior year at Harvard, Sam Masur exits the subway car and sees, amid the hordes of people waiting on the platform, Sadie Green. He calls her name for a moment she pretends she hasn't heard him, but then she turns and a game begins. A legendary collaboration that will launch them to stardom. These friends, intimate since childhood, borrow money, beg favors, and before even graduating college, they have created their first blockbuster Ichigo overnight. The world is theirs. Not even 25 years old, Sam and Sadie are brilliant, successful, and rich, but these qualities won't protect them from their own creative ambitions or the betrayals of their hearts. Spanning 30 years from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Venice Beach, California, and lands in between and far beyond, Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow examines the multifarious nature of identity, disability, failure, the redemptive possibilities in play, and above all, our need to connect, to be loved, and to love. Come on. What a great summary. Here, we'll kind of run through the characters real quick. There's not too many. So we have Sadie and Sam. Of course, these are the two best friends who create the infamous game Ichigo. And they create this media conglomerate that creates more video games called Unfair Games. And they... It kind of just spans their friendship instead of like a love relationship. It's really just their friendship relationship. And the other person that helps them build their gaming empire is Marks, Sam's roommate in college. And Sadie ends up falling in love with him. They have a kid. We are totally uh, not spoiler free here. And I also say it in the intro. So when people are listening, this is not a surprise, but spoiler, Marks dies. So that's very sad. But then Sadie is left as a single mother to her daughter, Naomi. Did I miss anyone that we want to touch on? Dove. Oh, dov.
3: Dove, yeah. It's Sadie's abusive college professor slash boyfriend. Very BDSM energy coming from that man. I picture like Howard Stern when I think of
1: the perfect (laughs) description oh my god that's hilarious yeah and i guess uh dong sam's grandfather who got him introduced to games with the donkey kong game in his pizza shop so cute okay lovely well there you go that's kind of the background maybe a refresher for those who haven't read the book in a while let's just get right into it i'm so excited I know where I stand on this book. I'm so interested to hear where you guys stand. So, initial thoughts when closing the book. I can start for me. It was an immense satisfaction because I thought this book was written beautifully, but also I read the part where Marx dies. I read that chapter right before I went into work and hadn't had a chance to like finish the book to like get that feeling of like <gasps> so I went into work and it was a bad day. At work. <laughs> <I didn't laughs> Like emotionally wrecked before the day even began. But I would say, like, my initial thoughts was I was just like, boom, that was in the top 10 best books I've ever read.
3: I had the initial reaction of being immensely dissatisfied because I absolutely despised that plot twist with my entire heart. So I closed the book and I was like, wow, I hated it. But then I sat with it and I was like, no, you know what? This was a really well-written book. I just hated every character in it except the one that died. And she's a really good writer. So I'll forgive her for having a bullshit plot twist. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah?
2: Yeah. When I first closed the book, my first thought was, wow, I wish that was 150 pages shorter. I felt like it just like went on forever. It was a good book, and I liked the story. But I remember like literally being three-fourths of the way in. Like, When is this book ending? We've explored everything that we could explore. Like, where are we going? It felt really long for no reason. And like, I just really struggled with that. I also disliked how she killed off Marx. And then also that Sadie just, I really disliked her after the death of Marx. He just took a nosedive and I did not like her character. I mean, I have struggled with Sadie throughout the whole book. And then like, she became, I mean, grief is a hard thing and like changes a lot of people, but like Come on, Sadie. Okay.
1: I have a lot of thoughts to add to that. But before we do, Marley, please <laughs> take it away.
4: I think initially closing it, I was felt just that feeling of this is a book that's going to sit with me for a long time. And I am going to be like disentangling. I definitely feel you all on the the relationship between Sam and Sadie is so complicated and i was skimming through it again in preparation for this and there are times where i get both of them and times where i dislike both of them because i think there's so much where they just don't know how to be friends to each other their friendship produces great art but doesn't produce a great friendship so yeah like initial read still was devastated I think I finished it the same day that I was had read The Death of Marx, who I honestly think was too good to live. That man has very few character flaws throughout the book. How could he have made it to the end, really?
3: Fair. Fair. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Love it. Claire? I loved
0: the book. I also had a similar thing where like, I was reading it, got to Marx's death, and then I was also going to work and was just reeling the rest of the <laughs> and I was sobbing. Never been so attached to a character before. Also, I feel like I loved the nuance with Sam and Sadie's relationship. I felt like when it would switch points of view, I would go from like hating one character to hating the other, which I thought was just like a testimony to like how well written it was. And I think for the ending, when we were only getting like one perspective, really, it was easy to kind of like turn on the other character. But no, it was good. And I was like, after Marks passed away, I was trying to figure out how they were going to wrap it up because it seemed so close to the end. And I loved that Pioneer game. <laughs> I was like, of course, that's how like a nerdy gamer is going to like slide back in with his friend. But I thought it was good.
1: Yeah. With the Pioneer game, when I first read that chapter, I kind of hated it.
2: I skipped through it. I really hated it. I didn't like it either. I was like, this is so
3: dumb. <laughs> by the way, by the way, didn't need didn't need it to get context for the last chapter at all.
1: Yes, I agree. (laughs) But (laughs) I do think it gave really good context to like how she was handling the grief, which was not well. And I think it kind of gave like an inside look into her brain without actually going into a chapter that was like, here's what she's thinking. So I thought it was very unique, even with the chapter with Marks going outside of his body, her being able to write from such different perspectives and kind of switch it up because it could get a little bit. I think the length could have been an issue for me, at least if it were just Sadie. Sam, Sadie, Sam, Sadie, Sam, Sadie, Sam. But when you get like the addition of Zoe and her talking about the stars and like all this stuff. And we all know like a Zoe in our life. That was really a fun character to like see their story through. If you see their story through Mark's and trying to understand. At first I was like, he's going to be a side character. I don't know like what his purpose is here. And then they kill him off. And I sob for about an hour and I was like, nope, he was really important to the storyline. <laughs> he gets the title. Well, really
3: Shakespeare gets the title, but he gets the title.
1: That wrecked me. And like when she sees him in the Pioneer game, I think that's when I was like, this is purposeful. And that's when it like hit an I was like, yeah, I like this chapter, actually. It was one of those, like you said, Marley, where I would finish it and it would just sit with me and then I would reflect on it and I'd be like, oh no, it actually hit a lot deeper than I'm like admitting that it had. But I would love to hear, I would love to hear us expand more on the uh, the length of this book because this is my shit. This book is everything I freaking love in a book. I love friendships. I love the plot when it's just related to like something as simple as video games and there's nothing super crazy or fantastical going on. It's kind of just a simple storyline and it's just like a story of friends. And I ate this shit up. So I think every chapter I loved the length of it. I thought it was perfectly well-written and I think it wrapped up really nicely, but I would love to hear Everyone else's opinion, because that's like the biggest thing I've seen on Goodreads too. Like one of the biggest complaints is the length.
3: I do think the chapter where Marx is in the coma was definitely very useful, and because I loved his character, I loved getting to to live inside his head. And also, I think the other chapter, which was actually my favorite chapter in the book, uh, which was a really great sort of side, was the woman who jumped off the building and then had that interaction with Sam's mom. That to me was just so emblematic of why her writing is so powerful because all of a sudden I cared about two people who I hadn't met up to that point, And I cared about them so deeply and wanted to know so much about them. And also I'd never seen that written to have someone in their last moments share that sort of just small talk with somebody is so, it's just so great. I didn't have an issue with that. I don't like video games. <laughs> and so when you gave me this book, I was like, Oh, fuck. So that's probably why the length was hard for me with like the Pioneer part or like any time they talked about literally anything to do with video games. I checked out. I checked out so hard. I was like, I don't care about Dove. I don't care about Solution. I don't care about Ichigo. I don't care about any of it. I loved the conversations. I loved Marks. I loved Zoe. I loved all the relationships. Couldn't care less about any of that. So that was my issue with the length. Hannah? Yeah, I, I don't
2: know. I feel like... Sam and Sadie's relationship had a lot of repeating themes and that like someone would do something they didn't communicate and then they're in a fight and it's like that happens like five times in the book and I'm like when are we gonna be adult adult and I don't know maybe she's like maybe there are friendships and I think like Marley had a point they're not that good at being friends they're much better at working together to create art but I just felt like there was just a lot of extra stuff that I didn't need that I hated the pioneer chapter I'm like this is so dumb I get it and it's like how they're like sort of reconciling but then Sadie is still a jerk at the end of it and it's like I can't believe you did this to me like I can't believe you tricked me and it's like Sadie come on like it was very obvious the entire chapter that this was your best friend okay I yeah I just felt like I got to Marx's death and I was like, all right, the book's going to end. We made it. This is the climax. And then we're going to have like one chapter and then it's over. And then it was still like six more chapters. It was too much, too much stuff. Yeah. I think I also really struggled with Sadie and Mazur's inability to communicate. I'm like, you guys are now like 30. Why can't you just like have a conversation about what you're like? They always just like made assumptions about what the other person was thinking or or things like that. And they never communicated. I'm like... You people, all your problems would be solved with a conversation. But I I didn't mind the video game stuff. Like I liked the reading about how they created Ichigo. Like I thought that was really cool. The Maplewood stuff was meh. But yeah, it was just too, too long.
1: Yeah, fair. Marley, I'm so interested to hear what you say.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry in advance, Marley.
4: (laughs) Well, I fall a little bit more in Jenna's camp of, I was really happy with the length. I personally am really into stories that are driven by character rather than plot. And I feel like you have much more of a character study here. And I am going to be a little bit of a pioneer section apologist. I think it gave... This lovely parallel between Sadie in her grief and Sam in that initial hospital that the place they needed to go to, to be able to build a relationship. Sam hadn't spoken to it more than two words to anyone. Sadie was holed up in her home, in her grief, the way that they bridged that gap even if it didn't fix the friendship, was through video games. And Sam is incapable throughout the book of saying that he loves Sadie, but love is baked into every ounce of that chapter. And I think there's a bit of a theme going through of mortality. And in video games, you never die. You just start a new life. But Sadie getting to write her character's obituary in the pioneer world, was just a little bit of, like, a little piece of her being able to accept death. And, like, I think helped finalize her grieving process, which she needed to do to be able to welcome Sam back into her life, even if the video game didn't right away fix everything. So, yeah, for me, the length worked. And looking back on it, there aren't any moments that I felt were superfluous. No moments that I would go back and cut. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Marley's gonna make me cry. Golly. Yeah, that was beautiful. Claire? <laughs> okay. I thought the length was
0: good, and I am an advocate for pioneer land.
3: <laughs> we should get t shirts pro or anti. <laughs>
0: Hi, I'm your land. Apology. I think as someone who got really into Stardew Valley during the pandemic and like found comfort in that game, I liked that it bridged them together. I also thought they were like processing a lot of things that were going on in their life through that and their grief. And then I liked a lot of the little like symbolism that was like embedded in that chapter. If I had to cut one thing, though, the whole thing with like Sam's high school girlfriend was like so cringy to me. <laughs> I don't even remember her name. I was trying to like block out that part, but I thought their relationship was weird and cringy.
1: Yeah, I genuinely feel like that part was symbolic of a high school relationship, as in I like got so far into the book that I completely forgot about her. And then they like brought her up at the very end and I was like, oh God, I totally forgot about this woman.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I think Marley brings up a really good point in that. It's hard because she writes them so well that you really have to separate whether or not you don't like the book from whether or not you don't like the character. And I there were definitely moments where I didn't like the character because I there was self-reflection in it. Like I think that both of these people really force us to examine the insular parts of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that are controlling, the parts of ourselves that are vulnerable. And that was beautiful. Where I think I had the hardest time was, like Hannah was saying, when you take that and you duplicate it so much to continue making the point, it almost loses its magic a little bit. And that's why I got really infuriated, too, by Mark's dying, was I I actually do agree that he wasn't built out enough. He kind of was so angelic that there had to be something done with him. But because it was just so out of left field and the leap to go to what happened was, it felt just so bizarre to me. Like, and then going back and like realizing that Sam was attacked because he was like woke in the nineties, that whole plot line then felt so forced as a climax to me. And it felt like she needed to get Mark's out of the way to have closure between Sam and Sadie. When I think all she had to do was build out Marks slightly more To make him part of that. I don't know. There was something about it that because it was such a highly intelligent book and how it was written and how it was mapped out to have that be the climax, I was bummed by it because then... I don't know. Just like it just felt like she needed a way to get them back together and she didn't know how, so she thought she'd kill off Marks. And it opened up a whole new can of worms and I just felt like the last third of the book didn't relate to the fir- first thirds that it came in in a lot of ways. So yeah, that's that was my thought. <laughs> and you disagree.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to counter and I'm going to see if if Marley is here with me and Claire. But I think the killing of Marks I do think it was shocking, but I don't think it was like It was drive me away from the plot shocking. Like it kind of felt like you were watching like Jane the Virgin.
3: But that's the that's the key to me right there, though, is it was a book that was like spoiler alert for my parents later. It was like a Sally Rooney, normal people energy. And all of a sudden we went into Jane the Virgin territory. And I was like, excuse me, this is not a soap opera. Like what? Sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, well, I think it fit in because in order for Sadie to I think have the closure with Sam and to almost like get on the same level. I know this is kind of like a morbid way of saying this, but like to understand each other, they had to go through this very large grieving process because like at the beginning, when they're first brought together, they're both going through their own grieving process where Sadie's kind of grieving the loss of her childhood with having to be in the hospital with Alice. And then you have Sam who's grieving the loss of his mother, but with Sadie, she's grieving or she's grieving the loss of like her childhood, but her sister lives through cancer. And so I think you kind of have to have this immense shift in energy for them to almost be like knocked back a few steps and kind of to find some common ground again, or else they're going to keep veering off so far from each other. So I don't know. I, that's how I saw it. But I would love to hear what Marley or Claire kind of thought of that as well.
2: Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, um, I feel that marks for so much of the book was the only thing keeping them together. So I think that's a big part of almost why you need to lose that character is to give them that conflict where the thing that was their glue is no longer there. Can they still make it work? And how does that friendship work then? I I think it also is interesting to explore games as politics, which they do in other parts of the book. You know, you're looking at a lot of sexism in the industry. Um, you're having conversations around cultural appropriation. So a conversation about, well, what if a video game was supporting gay marriage prior to its legalization, I think is a very interesting conversation to have and is re- incredibly relevant now as we're seeing a lot of backlash to LGBT people in just existing out in in public and so seeing that it felt almost a little too modern in a way of having somebody who had that strong a backlash but i i think that there's enough reasons for that to exist in the in the book the politics of it the grief element that you discussed jenna and how it affects the relationship that to me it doesn't feel like it was like a telenovela style twist it felt like a reasonable place for the book to go. Yeah,
1: Claire, Claire, Hannah, anything? I felt like our, like, Messiah died.
0: (laughs) His love covered everyone.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Jesus did die.
0: (laughs) Sexy Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I did think also, like, this shooting was a little, like, politically relevant, too. And, like, maybe, like, a little bit unrealistic. But I also think, like, there's mass shootings I feel like every week now. And... So I don't know, it didn't seem like super, I feel like it's shocking whenever you hear of a shooting that has happened. And so I felt like shocked by that. But like, it also feels like pretty connected to the current climate in America. But I was angry because Marx died. I think more so that.
2: I feel like it was forced though. The whole like, Sam is woke and like all this stuff is happening in Maplewood and then he's getting all these death threats. I'm like, it's so forced. Not to say that people weren't being very progressive in the 90s. I'm sure that they were. And rightly so, like she's writing a book in 2020 about, or 2022 about the 90s. So obviously she's like pulling from current events. But it just felt like really forced, like, hey, here's this opportunity in this book that I'm going to make a point. And it's a good point to make. Mass shootings suck and people need to be more accepting of ideas, but it it felt really forced in the book for the time when it was set and just, yeah, kind of like Ella was like, she just like needed to create conflict, but there was already so much conflict in their relationship. We didn't really need this external conflict. I was
1: going to pull from um, Ella's mom for this one. She said we were talking about, you know, Daisy Jones and like how accurate it was to the day. And she was like, it wasn't very accurate, but it was a fun watch. It was entertaining and I was lost in the story. So I feel like with this, sure, maybe the shooting wasn't like the most realistic thing that would have happened in the 90s. And maybe Sam being so woke is like, again, not super 90s on brand. I don't think it took away from the story. It was such a natural transition for him To be like, I want to just like support my friends in any way that I see fit. And then him just being like, I don't really see a big issue with this if we're just going to have like a marriage. Like, I feel like that was just how his brain worked. He's like, it's a game. We're just going to like play a game and have everyone join in on the game. And I don't know if the shooting was 100 percent relevant in a way, but I think
4: it didn't stop
1: me and take me out of what I was reading.
4: I did just want to interject and say it was 2004 when the shooting happened. So four years before marriage equality was passed. So a time where that is very much part of the cultural conversation. And, you know, Sam has two gay friend characters who, for me, it didn't come completely out of nowhere.
3: First of all, yeah, it sucks that we can't all accept who people love and who people identify as and all of that. And I do think that any book written, especially post 2020, is going to involve that. And as it should, like Hannah said, and like everybody is saying, I think that the issue for me was I don't think it's bad that Mark's died. I think like Marley is saying. He had to go, or something drastic had to happen to him in order for Sam and Sadie to be brought back together. I don't disagree with that. It just didn't feel cohesive to me. And also, I do agree with Hannah in that forced felt like a key word to me with all of the Maplewood stuff. Like Marley said, I think too modern is a really key term. Like she, in the same as Taylor Jenkins Reid, Miss Daisy Jones. You need to write for the context of the period that you're running in. And she felt like she was writing a book about the 90s and early 2000s with ideals and lingo that was very 2022. And I, I agree with her. I am so happy that she put those ideas out there. But I think that this book was so on the nose that it makes sense why it's so popular. And that's not to take away from how good she is as an author. But I just wish that she had relied a little bit less on presenting what she believes through her characters and a little bit more on trying to create a true path for the time period her characters were in and also just who her characters were. And I just don't think that a mass shooting factors into to the rest of the story. And I just got really thrown out of it when she chose to just plop her in there. And by the way, like like Claire was saying, like, yeah, mass shootings are an unfortunate part of our daily reality now. And that's awful. I just didn't think that it worked with this book.
0: I will say I feel like though it was this big event driven plot point, I do think that there was a lot of character development in like a lot of the minor characters as well. I felt like we saw this impactful reflection from like Aunt, who was in the hospital and then also like the shooters. I thought that was really interesting and I thought it was like a good critique on like how like isolating gaming can be because the whole book was mostly focused on community of gaming and how it brings people together and then we see this hurt that also came from games and other stuff too but I did think that there was a lot of really interesting character development that came out of that, aside from just Sam and Sadie's character development. And then same with the chapter about Marx, too, when he's in the coma. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Claire, you just set me up for like the most perfect segue. And I can't believe it. Thank you. I highlighted this quote. And it's kind of toward the beginning, but it's saying to allow yourself to play with another person is no small risk. It means allowing yourself to be open, to be exposed, to be hurt. It is the human equivalent of a dog rolling on its back. I know you won't hurt me, even though you can. It is the dog putting its mouth around your hand and never biting down. To play requires trust and love. I thought, like you're saying, playing games can be isolating If you're playing a single player game, it's just you and you're just in your own world and you're doing your own thing. And even if you're talking with people, I think Marley and I had this conversation when we were back in college, but like people on the internet suck. Gamers suck sometimes, especially to the women, the women gamers who are just trying to play and all of a sudden they're just getting absolutely cussed out by just like some stupid dude in his basement. But I think to open up yourself and to... Join this community that is, you know, you're both just kind of like opening up yourself to play and to do that with somebody else. It's kind of interesting to see play as being something that's vulnerable because that's usually the opposite. I would love to hear, Marley, what your experience has been and like how that quote kind of hit.
4: I think play as an adult is very different than play as a child because... You know, when you're a kid, you're running up to the stranger at the park and you ask them if they want to play ponies and it's fine. As an adult, I think there is that fear of exposure. I experienced this most not in video games, but in Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role playing where you are having to put on a character and put on silly voices and you are trusting that the other people at the table are going to a not judge you not laugh at you but they're going to be there right alongside you they're going to be ready to jump in together and tell a story with you and rediscovering play as an adult it has at times been a scary thing where there are people who you know I've I've tried it with and it didn't work and people with whom it's been a wonderful and even healing experience and i think you see a lot of people who have found ways where it's almost therapeutic so i can definitely see it. it is an act of exposing yourself and like opening yourself up to a very unique type of ridicule and just hoping that the other person is going to be there to catch you
1: yeah that's super powerful because even like i don't know maybe i was talking with you hannah about this but like making friends as an adult freaking sucks it's so hard <laughs> it's hard. There's even an element of play in that where you're like, I am just going to open up myself and be like, do you want to like play with me? (laughs) Like, do you want to hang out?
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm moving to Austin in three days and I'm, Petrified for that very reason. Like, I'm excited to make the move, but I do think that there is an element of you move to a new place and all of a sudden you have to build a community again. And what rang true, at least for me, and I don't know about you guys in this book, is the combativeness with loneliness that adulthood brings. And learning to be alone and how you can be comfortable in that. And I think that what was most true to me was just how the two central characters dealt with that and how they didn't know how to lean on each other but also didn't know how to be by themselves and that was very realistic. So, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that point, but um yeah, making friends as an adult is intense and also Just being vulnerable generally is intense and play, I think, goes hand in hand with vulnerability. And it's one of the things that even if you're just asking someone to hang out or playing Dungeons and Dragons or doing anything like that, you're asking a question, you're opening yourself up, which means that you might be accepted, but you also might be rejected. And that's sort of the central push and pull at both of these characters.
1: Yeah, a central theme, if you will. Well, I I mean, I think that's a really good point to end on, and I don't want to keep you all hostage all night. So uh, we love to do a final rating out of five. A five being, oh, my God. Wow. And one being, oh, my God. Wow. And then throwing it in the trash. (laughs) I'll, I'll start so we get an idea. I gave it a five out of five, guys. Like I said, I closed this book and I said, this is probably one of the best books I have read in a very long time. It just hit on everything that I love from a book and I cannot say enough nice things about it. And I think I love all the points that you guys were making because it totally makes a lot of sense, but it... It's not enough to change my mind. So
3: I'm going to I'm gonna keep my five out of five. Hello? Okay, final rating would be four out of five because I think that she's a brilliant writer. Cannot wait to see what she does next. And I think that she writes really beautiful characters. I just don't agree with her plot choices. And also, I'm sorry that I don't like video games and that's on me. I do love Shakespeare though, so really holler at Marks. <laughs> love you, King. Yeah, no, I mean, I just beautifully written understood emotions really well couldn't deal with the plot twist and you know gabrielle zeman you did much better than most of the authors we review on this show so bravo to you
4: <laughs> love it
3: all right hannah yep yep so i gave this book a three out of
2: five we'll preface i'm a pretty tough critic most books i read it's really hard to get a five out of five for me like I don't know. I need to like, feel like I will read the book again. If, if it gets a five out of five and I definitely would not read this book again. I thought it was good. I liked the characters. It was just too, it was too long for me. So I really, I struggled a little bit near the end. So it was, yeah, a three out of five for me. Lovely.
4: Marley. Yeah. Um, I think I'll join you on the, the five out of five. Literary fiction is my jam. This book is beautiful. I think she has the best final lines of chapters of any author I've ever read. There are so many like chapter endings that just, it felt like I could put the book down and sit with it for a couple days. My only real hang up is a personal one that I really don't enjoy reading age gap, power imbalance relationships. So Sadie's relationship with her professor, especially the fact that it was abusive wasn't super fun for me to read but yeah I'd I'd go five out of five even with that yeah we didn't even get
1: into Dove well next one (laughs) Claire I would give
0: it a five out of five I was really satisfied the way it was wrapped up I loved their relationship never turned romantic I feel like there's more literature books movies that are kind of following that but it still feels like kind of radical when you read that and it doesn't ever happen i feel like i still was anticipating them to like get together in the end and i like that they didn't yeah five out of five
1: lovely okay cool well let's get into our pairings so again this is the segment that we like to pick drink, TV show, books, another book and movie that might pair well with today's book so I can start. My drink is going to be just your simple Pinot Noir because I feel like this book is exactly what I want, which is just simple and something that's easy to drink. And that was easy to drink, but something that kind of like lingers on your mouth. You got to get that like mouthfeel. That's what I'm going to go with. My TV show is going to be a very specific episode of Grey's Anatomy where there's the shooter in the hospital and shoots Big Dreamy. And. Then they kind of go through this whole thing of trying to save him. And it's like this, you know, love story and he actually ends up living. But I feel like that was like all I could imagine was that scene from Grey's Anatomy as I was reading that whole scene. And so that just stuck with me. But now that I'm saying it out loud, the episode where he gets uh, hit by the car also kind of fits in with this book as well. Just Grey's Anatomy. There you go. My book was The Interestings. I really enjoyed The Interesting's because it was about a group of friends just from childhood to adulthood and how they were just kind of terrible people in general. And like one kid gets really rich and famous off of making a show that resembled like The Simpsons. But it just kind of follows them through their like fame and their money and how they interact with each other. So I think that that hits it pretty well. And then movies, I couldn't pick just one. So I picked two. And one is Ready Player One, which is also a book, which, of course, is video games. uh, That nostalgia factor, how games can bring people together and also tear people apart. And then... uh, The other one was If I Stay, and this is based off of Mark's chapter of the girl who goes into a coma. And then she's kind of wandering around and seeing how her family is interacting with her and how they're grieving her and how her relationship with her boyfriend at the time is uh, portrayed through her eyes as someone in a coma. So I think that that one fit pretty
3: well. Ella, let's get you in before you have to scoot. I'm just going to give you my pairing super, super quick, and then I will leave you wonderful people. Okay. My book is Just Kids, which Jenna will be reading with Rebecca very, very soon. Patti Smith's autobiography about her relationship with Robert Mapplethorpe, incredibly reminiscent of this book, a very big push and pull between two real life icons. Uh, my television show is Normal People, which is also a great book. Book. Again, another beautiful push and pull between two intensely depressed, wonderfully alone, but also in beautifully together people. I love them so much. Connell and Marianne Holler. And then my movie is Before Sunrise, Sunset or Before Midnight, whatever you want to do. It is three movies. Each taking place nine year apart. Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy, directed by my guy, Richard Linklater. It is about one couple in three very different stages of their life. But uh, again, experimenting with how two people who should not get along, get along. And what, what the trial and tribulations of that are. Gotta love that. Hannah.
2: Take it away. Okay, so when I think about drinks, I think my favorite part of the book was when they were creating ichigo so they're like in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So that just makes me think of old fashions, Harvard and kind of like uppity, but also anyone can drink an old fashion and they're like college students, so it's like, I don't know, it just yeah, kind of makes me think of about old fashions. For my book is actually Ready Player 1 is like what I thought about just because the video game thing, it just it's an easy connection for my brain to make. They're both video game centered and things like that. And then TV show, maybe like a million little things. So it's like a drama about a friend group. And they've like been friends over a while. And they also like lost one of their friends in their group. And so just like the way that like dynamics change among people as things like develop in time. And then ooh, movie. I don't know that I have a movie off the top of my head. I tried to think about this beforehand and obviously was not very successful.
1: It's it's hard.
4: <laughs> it's really hard. It's okay. We can skip. Marley? So for drink, I was thinking a Midori Sour. So Midori, you have a Japanese melon liqueur, which you get that Japanese influence from Ichigo. The color of it also brings to mind the classic gamer fuel, Mountain Dew. And I think Sweet and Sour describes a lot of this book for me. For the TV show, I said Mythic Quest, which is an Apple TV Original series that is very, it's basically if this book was a comedy. So you have the creative partnership of two people who are working together on a game that's basically a World of Warcraft. And it has its like very heartfelt moments. It just has a few more jokes. For a book, I was thinking Radio Silence by Alice Oseman, which is another book that has a platonic creative partnership and friendship at the center of it, which is really beautiful and deals with some similarly heavy moments. For a movie, I was thinking after all this, you need a palette cleanser. Um, So I said Wreck-It Ralph for the same like nostalgia reasons. You know, you get the arcade cabinet and I could see Sadie bringing her kid to see this movie that's so good
2: oh that is such a good one such a good one Claire let's hear it I can't wait
1: so there's this
0: sushi restaurant by my house that has this drink called an electric buzz that reminded me of this book and it's like a Moscow mule but with sake and I thought that that would be like I don't know just like cultural mashup going on so thought that that was a good drink for that book wise I read Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You? And I felt like it kind of had a similar pace to both books. And I also thought that so it's about like female friendship and it switches points of view, too. And I thought that that was parallel with this book. And then movie wise, I was thinking, obviously, like Super Mario. (laughs) I haven't seen this movie yet, but I think it would work well. New Tetris
2: movie. Oh, that was just, I was about to say that now that we're like talking about video game stuff, like, yeah, the new Tetris movie.
0: Um, My TV show is kind of a wild card. So hear me out on this one. (laughs) Mythbusters. (laughs) And my rationale is that there's two best friends, but they like actually hate each other. That's the rumor I've heard with it. So, you know, frenemies and they're like creating all of these experiments together And I don't know, they kind of have their own like distinct personalities. So that's what I, that's what I was thinking.
1: I can honestly say I wouldn't have thought of it myself, but that fits. Thanks. And on that note, well, thank you so much for joining me on this very special episode, everyone. This was so much fun. This is the end of our show and we'll end with a little cheers. So thank you again. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Clank. (laughs) Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at RW Reads Podcast. Again, that's at R W R E A D S P-O-D-C-A-S-T. At RW Reads Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all.